Uh, so there's, uh, yeah, there's these songs, and we go through seasons, and it seems like they're everywhere and everywhere you turn. Well, I kind of had an experience like that recently, but it wasn't a, a song. It was a Bible verse, okay? And I know I'm a pastor, and like, of course it's a Bible verse, uh, right? But it was one of those things where I couldn't ignore it. God was just like trying to get my attention, and he kept putting this Bible verse in my face. And uh, at the beginning of the year, I shared with you guys all these weird circumstances in which this verse just kept coming up by different people, different places. And it's not a verse that is, to be honest, super like popular. It's not one that I've focused on a whole lot, but it just kept coming up. And so I thought, okay, you know what? Um, I think I'm probably supposed to talk about this verse and wrestle with it and see, you know, what it means to us. And so that's what I want to do today. But before we do that, um, we're going to be giving back to God. And so if you are visiting today, this is not your church. Do not feel obligated to give. Um, this is just kind of what we do as a, a, a family and as good stewards. So uh, the verse takes place in the Old Testament. And if you're not a church person, you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, I'll give you just a very quick overview of what the Old Testament is all about. Okay, so the Old Testament is really primarily a story about, uh, a big chunk of it is about how God raised up this nation of Israel, this group of people in which he had a special relationship with, and he made them certain promises. And if they were to be faithful to him, if they continue to worship him, then he would bless them. But if they weren't, then there was going to be problems. And so for the entire Old Testament, for most of it, we see this cycle. And what happens in this cycle, it's actually called the cycle of apostasy. And what happens is that we see, um, we see the nation of Israel, and they're faithful to God, and God is faithful to them, and he blesses them. And as he blesses them, just like we oftentimes do ourselves, is we start to get full of ourselves. We start to get a little bit cocky. And so that's what happens in the nation of Israel. They start to... Uh, they start to have more, they start to become more powerful, and they begin to rebel against God. They begin to worship other gods, live these crazy lives, and God will then end up disciplining them to get their attention. And after they are disciplined, eventually they repent, and God delivers them. And it is just over and over and over again, you see this in the Old Testament, and if, uh, if, you're, um, if it's sounding familiar, you probably have seen it in your own life as well. And so, what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at a book in the Bible that takes place during one of these times of rebellion. It's a prophet in which prophets come and they, uh, they speak on behalf of God. God sends them and they say, hey, you're screwing up big time. You need to get your life right. And they either listen or they don't listen, and then there's consequences afterward. And so the book we're going to look at is the book of Isaiah. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to be. And Isaiah was written about 720 BC, or at least that's when it, the, the beginning of it was written. And we see that the nation of Israel is messing up. They send Isaiah as the prophet. They tell him, get your life back on track or God's going to have to discipline you. And if you're a parent, you know that the reason why God disciplines us, the same reason why we discipline our kids, is not because we're trying to get them back, all right, sometimes, but we're not trying to get them back, but we're trying to win them back. We're trying to get them back on track. And so he says, look, if, if you guys don't listen... I'm going to have to discipline you. And so throughout the uh, book, we see that there's really two major themes that are happening. The first half of the book and the second half of the book. So the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 39, is really about judgment and hope. Because Israel is in rebellion, he is warning them that there's going to be some form of judgment. In fact, at the end of the first, uh, first half of, of Isaiah, in chapter 39, we see that Isaiah talks about this future discipline 
and he describes, or he talks about this nation of Babylon and that they're going to come and they're going to conquer them. They're going to march them off into exile for 70 years, which if you've been listening for the last few weeks, that's what we talked about, the book of Nehemiah. That took place right after this. And also throughout the first half sprinkles in a little bit of hope. Hey, if you will, if you'll listen, if you'll come back to God, you can avoid all of this, uh, all the trouble that lays ahead. But unfortunately, in the last uh, chapter, ver- uh, chapter 39, we see that Isaiah's prophecy is vindicated. Within 100 years, after he uh, tells Israel that they better uh, shape up, and, they're har- and they decide not to, Babylon comes in, conquers them, marches them off. So the second half of the book, chapters 40 through 66, it really is a message of, of redemption and of hope and salvation. And so the hope is, even though you have messed up, God is still faithful. He's still going to take care of you. And so you're going to get to be released out of exile. You're going to get to go home to Jerusalem, even though it's destroyed. You're going to have to rebuild it. And God is still going to be faithful to you in the future, that he is ultimately going to deliver you. And then Isaiah begins to talk about this future Messiah, this person who's going to come, and it's kind of vague, and there's a, you know, it's about a leader, and maybe it's political, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's a little bit of both, and and that's where we're going to pick up the story, is in chapter 43, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at what, uh, what Isaiah has to say. So I'll put it up on the screen so we can read it together. It says this, verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. Now, if you're a Bible reader, maybe you have seen this pattern, is whenever God's going to say something, he usually, he usually begins it by uh, explaining or reminding the people who he is and who they are in light of who he is. And so this one has um, kind of really not a whole lot to do with the story today, but I just want to give you a freebie. Okay, so for those of you who are Bible readers, and I hope that's a lot of you, is you may not know that there are these things in, in the Bible, they're called indicatives and imperatives. An indicative is, it's a fact, it's true about what's, what's true about God and what's true about his people, and imperatives are a command. There are things that we are told to do, it's an action, And so when you read the Bible, you're going to see that those two things are almost always put together, that when God tells you to do something, if you trace back what the command was, it will be in light of who God is and who you are. And this doesn't sound like a big deal. You're like, okay, you know, we're kind of getting into the weeds here. But if you take it serious, this has some pretty profound impact on your spiritual life. Because so many of us, we have been looking at the Bible and I think we've been reading it wrong. So let me give you an example of this imperative and indicative thing. Uh, right before this in chapter 41, Isaiah says, do not fear. That's an imperative. That's a command. He's telling you, do not be afraid, which we see all over the scriptures. Now, if you go home today and all you heard was, do not be afraid, how, how, how transformative is that going to be in your life? Do not be afraid? Well, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> Man, that was worth the price of admission. No, because what he says in the second half of this is, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. See, he says, the reason why you shouldn't fear is not because you can just overcome it and you can uh, will it into existence and you can, no, the reason why you should not fear is because the creator God is with you. And so the reason why we have these two things, the indicatives and the imperatives together, is God wants to remind us that whatever he is calling us to do, no matter how difficult, no matter how daunting, it feels like a long shot, he wants you to remember that you're not doing it because you're somebody special, because you have this incredible willpower, resources, or strength. He's doing it because of who he is 
and who you are in light of that. And so if you take a verse, and this is probably the toughest one for um, guys, definitely, is 1 Corinthians 6, 18, where it says, flee from sexual immorality. If you're a new church person and you go, that's why I don't go to church. It's verses like that. I'm not interested. And so you see this, it tells you flee from sexual immorality, and maybe you take it serious, and so you go and you just try really, really, really hard. I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to touch there. I'm not going to, okay, whatever, right? Some of you guys are like, did they just say that in church? grow up. Okay. (laughs) When we hear that, we go home and we try really hard not to do that. And what happens is we eventually stumble, we eventually fail, and over a period of time, we may just give up on this whole faith thing because it's way too difficult and way too frustrating. But it's because we've missed exactly what's happening. We missed the whole part before this. So for this verse, if you looked at it and Paul says, you know, flee from sexual immorality, you've missed the whole part before it where he says that you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead within you, that you were a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you were once, you were a slave to sin, but you have been freed by Christ's sacrifice so that you no longer have to pursue the desires of the flesh. And so when it says, do not go and be sexually immoral, it's not giving you a command of saying, hey, didn't you know that you're free? Didn't you know that before you had to follow those desires, but you have a power available through the Holy Spirit that you don't have to follow any longer? That's very different. That's a very different faith than don't go and sin. It's here's who you are. Here's who God is. Here's what he's enabled you to do if you will call on him. And so when we read scriptures like this and it begins off, the, the verse begins with, here's who I am. I am the creator. I am the king and you are my chosen people, what he wants to do is he wants to get you in the right frame of mind, give you the right perspective on who you are before he calls you to whatever he's going to call you to do. So it continues on and says this in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And so God starts with, here's who I am, here's who you are, and then he goes to, now here's what I've done in the past. And of course, right here, he's recalling uh, to their memory the Exodus, that they were once slaves in Egypt. God called them out. He did these miraculous things like these plagues, and, and he, this is where the Passover comes from, and this is where they flee from the Egyptian army, and he parts the Red Sea, and then he brings it down upon the enemies, and he wipes them out. And so what he's doing is he's trying to jog their memory. Do you remember what I have done for you in the past? Do you remember how faithful I have been to you? And he has to do this because God knows that we, we forget so easily Now, you don't have to be a Christian to agree with this, is you forget even the most important things in your life. That's why we try to put them on the calendars. That's why we have things like anniversaries, and we have birthdays, and we do things like Christmas and Easter, and Jesus did the thing called communion, because he knows that we get distracted, that we're busy, that we forget even the things that we value the most. And so we have to constantly be challenged to stop, to reflect, and to remember. And so he's trying to Uh, Tell the nation of Israel, here's what you need to remember. Remember that I have been faithful. I've been faithful in the tough times when you were slaves in Egypt. I've been faithful when I brought you into the promised land and I built this great nation. I will and be faithful. I've been faithful in the past and I will be faithful in the future. And I think this, of course, is a great reminder, not just for them, but for, for us as well, is God has given 
each one of us far more than we deserve. When I think about my, my wife and my kids and my family and my job and all the incredible blessings, I deserve none of them. Yesterday was uh, opening day for T-ball. My son's playing T-ball for the first time this year. Very exciting. And um, it was a big deal. It was a big day. He is actually going to be playing in the same little uh, league as I did when I was his age. And uh, it's pretty fun because we were there and I was walking around the the school, and I was saying, oh, this is where I went to second grade, and this is right in, and we, you know, it, it was just, it was, it was crazy being back there with all the childhood memories, but one of the, uh, oh, by the way, if you haven't been to a t-ball thing in a while, I learned this yesterday. T-ball is a lot closer to football than it is baseball. <laughs> I was surprised. They, they can tackle their own teammates and dogpile really, really well, so Anyway, so while we're, while we're hanging out there and, uh, you know, revisiting some of these childhood memories, one of the things that I was reminded of is, um, is the history of this church, is if you didn't know, this church started 30 years ago in a little chapel down by the beach in Seal Beach off of Main Street, and I, I kid you not, the auditorium was smaller than this stage right here, and it was crazy to me to think about that Seacoast, 30 years ago, was in a broken down building with a handful of people And if you watch what God has done over the last 30 years, if you step back and you see, you just go, that is crazy. There are thousands of people who walk through these doors every single weekend. That we could go from from that and God could bring us to to this. For me, I get caught up in the daily stuff. Here's all the things I need to fix. Here's a to-do list. But if you just step back for a second and and you look at your life, you go, whoa, God has brought me a really long way. He has given me an incredible amount of blessings. He has been faithful to me so many times. And so I think part of God reminding us to, to step back is, is it, it boosts our confidence in who God is and his faithfulness. So the next part um, in the scripture, it takes a really strange turn. And I gotta be honest, it was kind of like when I was studying and I was reading this, it's kind of like hitting a roadblock. I just went, wait a minute, this is not flowing, this is not making any sense. I would not have written it this way, God. Uh, here's what it says. It says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Now I'm confused. Are you ever confused when you read the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible? No? Okay, that's fine. Because every time I open the Bible, I go, <laughs> okay, God, I'm a little confused here. What's going on? So he just tells us to stop and reflect on all the things that God has done, and then the very next thing he tells us is, I want you to forget about all of that. Yeah, 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 the Passover, the plagues, the exodus, the all, I want you to forget about all of it. <sighs> okay, God, I'm a little frustrated right now, I gotta be honest, okay, because that doesn't make any sense. So I wrestled with it this week. I started reading what other, uh, what commentaries had to say, and, and I think here's what, uh, here's what they're trying to get up, is the first thing is, they're not telling us, or the, God's not telling us to forget the, the who, but forget the how. Don't forget who has been faithful. See, he's recalling that when there was no way out, God made a way out. And if you trust him, he will continue to make a way forward in your life. It just not, may not be the same way as he did before. It may look totally different in the future. So don't worry about how God's going to do it. Just know that he will. Just know that he, he's faithful and that he's going to take care of it. The other thing is, is he wants us to forget the past, both the positive and the negative things in our past, our successes and our failures. 
So you guys watched the Super Bowl last week, probably, and um, I'm not a sports person, but I did find one thing really fascinating, and maybe you saw this. The head coach is a young guy, and he has, this is, this is, boggles my mind that this is his job. He's a spotter. Have you seen this guy? Okay, if you haven't seen this, here's what he does. This guy's job is to stand behind the head coach as the guy is coaching. He is supposed to guide him by the hips out of things that he may trip over or run into. That's his job. Like the coach is so focused on what's happening out there and on the field that he cannot be bothered to look where he's stepping. And so this guy's like, and it's like, that's a job? That's a government job is what that is. Ah, that was only for the 1045 service. Amen. Okay. Just kidding. You work for the government. We love you. Just a joke. All right. Anyway, I'm going to get letters for sure. <laughs> but three people will have to write them. So as <laughs> the government. Okay. All right. Two people watching, one writing. Anyway, I could go all day. Okay. Where was I? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach. Okay. So I love this dude's intensity because he is so forward focused. He is so focused on what's happening ahead of him that he has no time to look back. And the scripture is clear. This is how we're supposed to live our faith journey. This is how our lives are supposed to look is we're supposed to be so focused on the future that we have no time to look at what has happened in the past. There's, um, there's really only, I, well, let me say this is, uh, not only are we supposed to forget what has happened in the past, uh, both positive and negative, but we're supposed, to, we're supposed to look fondly on the past successes and yet not dwell on them. Here's what I mean. Is, uh, recently, I was in a conversation with some, um, some people, some of my friends, and I don't know how this question came up. We ended up talking about, um, the question was something like this is, at what age were you your best looking? At what age were you your best looking? Well, you're most attractive at this age. Some of you guys are thinking, Cody, you have to be there now. You have to be there now. I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, but, but, but in the conversation, um, there was no doubt in everyone's mind who, was, who we were discussing that our best looking days were behind us. Nobody said, I think next month I'm going to peak. I think that's it. I'm there. Like, I am right around the corner from being the best-looking me I've ever been before. Nobody said that. We all were like, oh, the baby weight. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's been here for a while. I didn't have kids, and it was here. It's crazy. And it's because we all believe that our, our best-looking self was, was in the past, and yeah, maybe that's true physically. Yes, maybe you're never going to be as strong as you once were and all those kinds of things. But a lot of us begin to live our entire lives like this, that our best days are behind us, that we peaked somewhere in the past. And I think if we are ever going to have a future, we have to believe that their best days are still ahead. Uh, there's a movie, maybe you've seen it before. Um, it's called Napoleon Dynamite. And, uh, and there's a character in there. I love this character. His name's Uncle Rico. <laughs> Uncle Rico, if you haven't seen it, he, oh, you should have seen him in high school. He could throw a pigskin over the mountains, okay? 
And he's like a middle-aged guy, and apparently he was a high school football player who was kind of a local town hero, and his entire life is him reflecting on and living in his glory days of being a high school quarterback. And his whole life after that has been a complete disappointment because he has lived as if that was his best days. And so everything after that has really just been a disappointment for him. And see, if you live as if your best days are behind you, if you not just remember the past, but you live in it, you will never have a future. Israel could have easily lived in the past. They could have reflected and thought, remember when there was King David? You remember when we were a vast empire? Do you remember when we had power and when we had wealth? I think our best days are behind us. They could have easily lived in that place. And yet God, God told them, no, 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 no. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are still ahead of you. Now, what's crazy is if you, if you believe your best days are behind you, I think as a Christian, what you're really saying is, God, I don't think you're gonna show up again. I don't think you can do it again. I, I think that you showed up that one time and that was awesome, but you're never gonna show up again. This is it. And if you believe that, and if you believe that those best days are behind you, you know what happens? Something very strange, kind of ironic happens is all of those past blessings now become future burdens. Think about Uncle Rico. Oh man, that was so cool. We got to experience this in high school and be this and be that. But that blessing has now become a lifelong burden because he'll never get to realize that success again. There's nothing ahead of him. The best is behind him. He's just trying to survive and make it by. If I was going to be honest and a little bit vulnerable, I think that as I, uh, as I reflect on this church, sometimes I, I ask the question, are our best days behind us? Are our best days behind us as a church? Because if I, if I believe that, if I believe that our best days are behind us, very quickly all the blessings that God has given us turn into incredible burdens. This building, for example, this is a blessing. Look at this. This is amazing. How cool to think we started with a tiny little nothing church, and then God grew it over that. That's, wow. And yet, if I believe that God was not going to show up again in the future, this really becomes a pretty big burden. It's a lot of seats. It's got a lot of bills to pay. Our, our staff, huge blessing. People have dedicated their lives to this place. And yet, if I believe that God's not going to show up again in the future, that's going to become a burden because they have families to take care of. They have bills to pay. How are we ever going to see all of the past blessings become future burdens if you believe that God isn't going to show up again in your life? He's also calling us to forget our past pains, the ones that we are, we've done to ourselves and the ones that have been done by other people. If you look at Israel, they've had a lot of past pains. They've had some that were self-inflicted a lot. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, first chapter, we talked about that Nehemiah said, we screwed up big time. Our nation screwed up my family. We, we turned away from you, God. We deserve the punishment. We, we repent and we turn back to you. They've also been uh, inflicted with a lot of pains. I mean, they were in exile for 70 years. They were, they were captives. And you can probably relate. You've had some pains in your life. Some of them are some really big regrets that you have and you know that they're your fault and you're ashamed and you're embarrassed of those things. So some of it is done to you by other people. Maybe it's physical, emotional, relational, whatever it might be, but they have really wounded you. And God says, if you're gonna move forward, if you're gonna step into what I have for you in the future, you're gonna have to leave all of those things behind. See, the, the, the scripture calls this faith journey that all of us are on uh, analogous to a race. 
is we're all in this race and we're striving towards the goal. We're trying to attain the prize. And if this is a race, some of us are stumbling along and we're just barely making it and we just want to quit. And I think it might be because we're trying to run a marathon race facing backwards. How are you going to run if you continue to look behind you? If you continue to dwell on the past, if you continue to harbor those things, that, those things that you can't get over, how are you ever going to run? However you're going to race, how are you ever going to get the prize if you're trying to run it backwards? The race is always going to be in front of us, not behind us. Being able to run this race, we have to do really two things. I think if we're going to run it facing forward, we have to accept the forgiveness that we've been offered and we have to extend it to others. The... Uh, the shame and regret and anger and bitterness and fear, addictions, harmful relationships, all that has to be left in the past because if you are going to be, if you're going to strive in this race, you cannot bring those heavy burdens with you. You cannot drag them along. They are too heavy for you. You have to leave them where they're at. And that's what the scripture is calling us to do. It's saying, let go of your past if you want to experience future freedom. Um, real quick, I heard a story, an old story. It's about how to trap a monkey. Okay, I haven't got to test it yet, but one of these days. Um, maybe I could try it on my four-year-old. How to trap a monkey, here's how it goes. Is, and I don't, I don't know if it actually works, but you take a coconut and you put a hole in the coconut that's just big enough for the monkey to be able to put its hand inside. And then you empty it out and you put a treat in there, like an irresistible treat. You tie it to a tree, you leave it there. The monkey will come, put its hand in there, grab the treat, and then it can't get its hand out, but it won't let go. And so it'll be stuck in there because it simply refuses to let go. It's trapped. That is, come on, that is some of us, right? Is man, we refuse to let go of some of the things in the past, and because of it, we have no future. We are stuck right where we are. So God says, if you want to experience what I have for you, you're going to have to let go of the past, which sounds so nice. Doesn't it sound so, it sounds so easy when you say it like that. But it's, gosh, when you try it, it feels impossible. There's been a recent phenomenon in our culture in which um, we have seen business leaders and politicians and celebrities lose their entire careers because of something that they've done in the past. It's happened. The last few years, it's been happening all, it feels like every week there's a new scandal that comes out. And some of these people, they deserve to not only lose their careers, but they should be thrown in jail, 100%. But there's also a big group of people who are losing their careers, and the things that they're losing them over, you go, gosh, I mean, yeah, that wasn't smart, or it's a little embarrassing, or, but really their whole life has to be turned upside down because of this that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever years ago. And so I started to think about this week, why is this happening? Well, why are these people kind of being raked over the coals? And if they are and they're called out, they really only have a couple options. Um, they can step up and they can, uh, they can confess their sins publicly, they can offer some kind of penance, and they hope that they are forgiven. If not, they're going to be crucified. Pattern sounds familiar. And so what happens is, um, I think two things. One, oh, by the way, the Oscars, perfect example of this, right? In the, first, in the last 30 years, there's never been an Oscars without a host. They can't find a host. You know why? There's nobody who has always lived up to today's current standards, Nobody. There's no perfect person out there according to the standards of 2019. And so they can't find anybody. Why is this happening? Two things. 
One, because we have this thing called subjective morality, and I won't get too deep into this, but because we've rejected God primarily as a, as a culture, these objective moral standards, these things that flow from who God is, His character, these unchanging rules, laws, nature, all of those things, because they have been, uh, uh, because they've been pushed away, we now base right and wrong on popular opinion and the trends of the day. And so if it's constantly changing, things that were okay 10 years ago, now you are seen uh, as a, um, a horrible person 10 years later. The other thing is this, is as we drift towards secularism, secu- secularism uh, one of the top reasons people reject churches because they think it's judgmental. Maybe that's true. But the irony of the whole thing is as we get further away from the faith, we don't become less judgmental. We become more judgmental. We become more legalistic as we get further away from the faith. It's kind of the great irony of our day. And the reason is because as we lose our faith, what goes along with the faith is grace. We've lost grace. Because grace is, I'm going to forgive you even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to love you when you're unlovable. And so as Christians, we go, you know what? God has has loved me and forgiven me, and I did nothing to deserve it. And so because of that, I can forgive other people, and I can accept the forgiveness that God has given to me over my past mistakes. But when you don't have that grace, people have to pay. When you have messed up, you have to pay for your transgressions. And so we're going to publicly shame you. We're going to ruin you because we have lost grace. And so let me quickly finish this because I'm over uh, time. Here's how it ends, and this is my absolute favorite part. 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So what it's saying here is God's going to do something fresh, something new, and it's going to be greater. It's going to be different. You're you're not going to even be able to anticipate what he's going to do. Because all the people who are lost are going to be able to find their way. He's going to make a way through the wilderness. And so this new greater thing is going to be something that not only is unexpected, but it's going to be something that impacts not just this group of people, the Israelites, but it's going to be something that impacts the entire world. And they would have never seen it coming. You fast forward 700 years after this prophecy And Jesus steps into the world and everything is turned upside down. It's not just about deliverance from your enemies, it's about deliverance from the ultimate enemy, which is sin and death. And they would have never seen it coming. You know, it's kind of a bummer though. The people who would have never seen it coming, the people who were there when Jesus showed up, most of them missed it. The new thing has arrived. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ and everybody missed it because they weren't, they weren't ready. They weren't expecting. They didn't really believe that God was going to show up, or they had preconceived notions of how God should do this, and so when He did it a way that differed from them, they missed it. And so for me, as I, as I think about how this applies to our life, I don't know exactly what God's going to do that's going to be new in your life. I just know that He's got to do something new if you're ready, if you're expecting it, if you're open. The question is not, is he going to do a new thing? Is he going to be faithful? No, no, no. The question is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to let go of the past? Are you going to trust him with the future? And are you going to come with open arms and open hands and say, I'm expecting you to do a new thing, whatever that might be? See, we got to have eyes that are going to be able to perceive what he's doing. As I look at this church, 
I think about, is God doing a new thing? Are our best days behind us? And I can pretty confidently answer, no, they are not, because I see God doing a new thing here. You look at the last couple years of this church, and we've had thousands of people go through this rooted program, and it has turned this place upside down. It has changed people's lives here. I go out into the children's building, and we can barely find enough rooms for all of these kids because this place is exploding with new families. God's doing a new thing. I see the passion in my heart and in the the people here and our volunteers and our staff. God has given us a fresh vision for the future. He's doing a new thing. And so I'm excited for what God's doing. I don't know how he's gonna do it. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know when the time frame. I just am coming with open open heart and arms and saying, God, I'm expecting you to show up. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do. And so the question I wanna leave you with is this. Is are you expecting and are you ready for God to do a new thing in your life? Let's pray. Lord God, you say that your mercies are new every morning. Every day we wake up and, and you have something fresh for us. And Lord God, we don't know exactly what that looks like, and yet it is an incredible and exciting journey that we get to go on in which we come with open arms, open heart, and we just are coming expecting for you to show up. We don't know when, we don't know what, but we trust that you will. And so Lord God, there are people in this room and they, they need you to, to come to, into their life in a fresh way. And Lord God, I pray that you would do that. And as they wait in anticipation and expectancy, that you would show up. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.